0: future we're talking real money
1: well hello friends and welcome to another exciting edition of the talking real money Friday Q&A podcast I'm Don McDonald and this is what I do I talk about your dough either on the radio or on a podcast and I've been doing it for a very very long time Started in 1988. Wow, which makes me officially old. I know, I know. It's funny. I was <laughs> this is a totally unrelated to anything, but I was listening to a promo I did for our radio show back when we were just getting started on Como Radio in Seattle, and I listened to this promo and I went, "Oh my gosh, I sound so young." So I I guess my voice is aging. That, what, that, that happens along with the rest of you. So anyway, today we, uh, we get together, you, me, and uh, you ask questions that you've sent in through the TalkingRealMoney.com website using the contact form. You've recorded them, and that makes them sound so much better, particularly those of you who've got a good computer mic. Which in this day and age is a lovely thing to have, particularly with all the video conferencing and all that we do. A good mic just makes so much difference. I'm not talking about this kind of good. This this is right. You don't want to spend this kind of money. Uh, I do voice work, so I have to have really good stuff. But a good mic, a decent USB mic. And there are some really extraordinary ones out there you know, for under $200. So you might want to get one of those. And then you call by... What you call you ask your question by going to talkingrealmoney.com hit the contact form on uh, uh, and and I'm putting this together this is going out on Cinco de Mayo which I guess means Debbie and I after we get this done are going out for a pitcher of margaritas somehow that feels like it's in the cards okay let's get started shall we i've got i've got questions galore galore like this one
2: hey don Brian here. My question is in regards to having your portfolio balanced, not just overall between all your accounts, which I know is a healthy thing to do, but also balanced between your pre-tax accounts and your Roth accounts. For example, I don't have any international in my Roth side of my accounts All my international is on the pre-tax side, which are at two different brokerages. What I would like to do is start adding international into the Roth side. And I just want to get your take on asset allocation as an overall uh, view of your portfolio as a whole, but also asset allocation within your Roths and asset allocation within your pre-tax accounts and how you would go about balancing that And if you have a preference on if you can keep the Roth and pre-tax fairly identical or if that matters or not, thanks for your time.
1: You said it at the end. I don't really think it matters that much between the Roth and the regular IRA. Now, there is some difference between a Roth and a regular brokerage account. And the way you allocate assets really depends on your future tax situation but generally speaking you want those assets that are that would be taxed at your ordinary income rate to be uh to be inside one of those sheltered vehicles and particularly the Roth because it's totally tax-free So in the account that's outside of a Roth or a regular IRA, that's where you want to put things that are going to have very few capital gains, growth-oriented ETFs that just don't distribute much in the way of dividends. They don't have capital gains. And when they do – you, you want those dividends to be qualified dividends and uh, those those gains to be capital gains because they get taxed at a lower rate. On some money, they might not even get taxed at all depending on what you're making in retirement. So uh, you want the highly taxed stuff in the Roth, but to, you don't have to match them up because remember, your portfolio consists of all of your accounts. That is your portfolio. Then with each in, with, within each account, you have the proper investments for that type of account. Um, But the portfolio is all of them together, so it should be balanced among them, not identically within them. Thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate it. And let's grab the next one. Came in through TalkingRealMoney.com.
3: Appreciate your input on this. Um, It's not a typical investing question, but thought maybe you could give some guidance. My siblings and I are looking to help our retired mother be able to move to a, a different location that would be uh, better for her. So we would chip in financially and um, kind of help her to be able to afford that. The thought was that we would track, you know, our each kind of family's contribution. And then later at some point um, after mom passes away, you know, possibly return that money based on how much was provided. So I'm, I'm less concerned about, the, um, the tracking and the return later, but from a standpoint of kind of inheritance, but more so like, how would I need to track this? Is it an investment? Um, I don't want to kind of get in trouble for being misleading on like uh, federal student aid forms, taxes, things like that. So, um, maybe I'm overthinking this we should just treat it like a gift and worry about inheritance later, but, uh, wondering if you can give any guidance on that. Thank you.
1: I think the general idea is a good one. The The keeping track. Uh, it's done in a variety of similar ways in a, uh, in a lot of families where there are inheritable assets and where the parent or parents wants some semblance of fairness. And I've seen it done, not in my family. <laughs> we never had any money. <laughs> But in my wife's, uh, you know, her, her, uh, her father kept track of, of all the money that the kids needed over the years, and then he, in his will, had those amounts deducted from that child's third of the estate. So this could be done in similar fashion. For those of you, you know, if you, if you added 50000 then you could work an agreement out. Your mother would have to also be a part of that, and the estate attorney you use—that you know, whatever was pitched in could get paid back out of the estate. So, if somebody put in a hundred thousand and it's a million-dollar estate, uh, split four ways, quarter of a million each. Well, that the other three would each sacrifice thirty-three thousand dollars to go to the kid who put the hundred in. I think it avoids hard feelings later on. Or at least, you know, sometimes you can't avoid hard feelings, but you can reduce hard feelings. And as for taxes, do not worry about it. Um, we're, we're getting, yeah, there may be some gift tax things, but really you're in, unless you're in a multimillion dollar realm, uh, you're not going to have to worry about it because of the lifetime estate, or, or I'm sorry, the lifetime estate gift exemption. So uh, I don't think this is a big worry. It's mainly having it written up properly from a probate perspective and uh you know i I assume one of you is going to be the executor and that should probably be the one who keeps track that'd be my guess thank you for your call remember these calls as the calls in quotes come in through talkingrealmoney.com and also you can call 855-935-TALK and ask questions that we will uh, answer on the radio show on Saturdays along with your live calls. So a lot of ways to get your questions out here. And here's another one from TalkingRealMoney.com.
4: Hi, guys. Um, I have a question about I-bonds. You said on a recent um, podcast program that the interest rates for the I bonds were rapidly becoming less attractive, but I'm not clear on whether the interest rate that you get when you purchase the I bonds remains the same until you cash them in right now. For instance, it's something like, um, let's see, it's 6.89% and I'm wondering if that is the interest rate that I will get on my $10,000 worth of I-bonds going forward, or if when the rate goes down, will my rate go down? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Because I heard Don say that he was going to get rid of his when it was no longer uh, a profitable investment. So I want to know if I need to get rid of mine, too. Uh, That's my question. Thanks a
1: lot, and thank you for the question. Yeah, it, it's a great question. No, you do not get the high rate for the the entirety of your I bond because these are thirty year bonds. Boy, would I love to have uh, or to continue to receive the over nine percent I got when I first did this. But no, they they every six months not when they change the rate, but every six months, depending on when you purchased, you will go to the new rate. And as of just the last few days, the I bond rate for May went down to, I believe, 4.3%. So you'd get six point something for six months. And then everything, then, then, then that, that, that money that's in there plus the interest would get 4.3 for the next six months. And then you see what the new rate is, but you see overall, because I've got some at nine something and some at six something or whatever the rates were, you know, I'm still going to be getting a decent rate on my money and you can take the money. You can't take it out for a year. You can take it out after a year and sacrifice the next three months of interest. So if for some reason rates got down to nothing, then the the interest sacrifice would be, oh, well, pretty much nothing. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep mine for a while. I, I know I'll at least, I've already gone a year, I think, on one of them. Um, definite, I'm probably going to go five because the overall rate is still good and the safety is high. The main reason I have these, you know, it's part of a really safe portfolio. And, I buy things sometimes just because we talk about them on the show to see what it's like. So I, I, I create my own hodgepodgery. Um, there will come a day in the not-too-distant future when I'm going to simplify the heck out of it because I don't want to deal with it. So uh, thank you very much for the question. We do appreciate it. If you have a question, go to TalkingRealMoney.com, hit the contact form, or call
5: 855-935-8255. Next question. Tom and Don, my name is Matt, and I'm calling from Danvers, Massachusetts. I'm a relatively new listener to the show, but I'm hooked, and I've found you guys from following Paul Merriman and his work. But I have a question about backdoor Roth IRAs. I'm 34 years old and a state employee here in Massachusetts, and I contribute 10.5% of my income to my pension. I can start to collect my pension as early as age 60, and it will grow Until the maximum age of 67, I will be vested in my pension this June. I also have a brokerage account that has the Paul Merriman Four Fund U.S. Combo in it, and my wife contributes to her 401k at work in a target date fund. I've decided it makes sense to have a Roth IRA as well. However, my wife and I are very close every year to the limit of not being able to contribute to a traditional Roth IRA and thus have to do a backdoor. Roth IRA. I'd rather get the money to work as soon as possible and don't want to wait until the end of the year when we know what our income is. So, my question is should I or am I able to just do a backdoor Roth IRA to start every year and not worry about what our income is going to be that year? Can I do this? Is there a penalty for doing this Um, when I could have contributed to it regularly if I didn't? Um, if my income limit was under the traditional Roth IRA limit. Thanks so much. Look forward to the answer. Thank you for all your work. Yeah, you probably would be smart to
1: just start with the back door. Uh, what's the difference really? Uh, you you Didn't mention if you have any regular IRAs. They're the only fly in the ointment. If you have a regular IRA, you have to take a pro rata amount, a pro rata amount of that, and pay taxes on it. But if you don't have an IRA, regular one, then there's no difference between doing the backdoor and doing the regular Roth, so you might as well do it right away. And for those of you who don't know a backdoor Roth is a strange loophole in the tax law that I am surprised still exists that allows someone who is ineligible to contribute to a Roth IRA because they make too much money to contribute to a Roth IRA. All you have to do is set up and fund a non-deductible IRA. So you don't get a tax deduction, but you don't with a Roth anyway. And then... Recharacterize that non-deductible IRA as a Roth so from then on it grows tax-free once again we have a federal law that makes no logical sense but is in this case as it doesn't happen often it's good for us so I think just do the back door thanks for the question and uh let's take our next one shall we we got a couple more yeah hi, Donna, Tom. Hey, this is Steve from Oregon. Hey, I have a question about a former uh, employer's 401k. Uh, I keep it there. It's infidelity and I keep it there because I think the ERISA protections might be worth it. Uh, I have a couple of rental properties and I believe that uh, potentially if there was a liability issue that this could be, this could help protect that. And, um, Including my IRA, I always wonder if indeed uh, Oregon protects an IRA with ERISA laws as the, as as 401ks are protected as well. But regardless, uh, thanks for your answer, and I appreciate always listening to Talking Real Money. Have a great day. <laughs> You're ending nicely done. Nicely done, sir. Very impressed. <laughs> Uh, you know, if you feel like you're in better shape in your 401k and it's a good 401 I, I don't. we don't really have a beef with keeping it there. Uh, sometimes we just suggest moving it because it simplifies things. Now, interesting, you should bring up the question of protection from creditors because nationally ERISA protects employer plans like 401ks from creditors. And in some states, IRAs and uh, uh, roth iras are not protected however i was looking through the list of states where iras and roths are protected from creditors and it is longer than the list of those that are not for example oregon protects uh iras and roths from creditors so um you know, Either way, six one way, half a dozen the other, but nice ending, nice ending. All right. We have one more, one more question for today's exciting podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, here it is.
6: Hi, Don and Tom. This is Todd from Colorado. I recently found your podcast via Clark Howard's podcast and I'm so glad that I did. I appreciate everything that you two do. Uh, my wife and I are both 56 and we've got three teenagers, 19, 17 and 15 and my question revolves around the best way to use the money we save to pay for college. As background, our oldest is a freshman commuting to a local college. The second, a junior in high school, definitely plans to attend a state college. Well, the youngest isn't really sold on college at this time. We started saving for college when they were born, investing in target date mutual funds. You'll like the target date mutual funds. You probably won't like the individual funds, but we won't go there to right now. But initially, uh, we used the UTMA, Uniform Transfers to Minors Act, accounts. And then we added 529s once we were kind of made aware of them. Each kid has a UTMA then uh, because of this and a 529. And for simplicity's sake, we'll say that each account has $30,000 in it. Which account should we tap first for each child? We're kind of conflicted that we know the 529 must go towards qualified educational expenses, but we remain the owners and it grows tax-free. The UTMAs, on the other hand, can be spent on anything for the child, but at 21, they own the remaining money and they can spend it on anything. The the UTMA money counts as student money and thus hurts worse on uh, student aid applications, but I don't see it making much of a difference in the family's expected financial contribution. And uh, lastly, a thought is the 529 money is fungible between kids and the parents' education needs, and also we could later convert up to 25000 to a new Roth IRA, or to a Roth IRA with the new law, while the UTMA isn't transferable at all. And so our current thoughts, use the 529 first for college, and if any remains in the UTMA, we use that for a first car for each kid before they turn 21. And uh, that's the road we've started down with the first kid. Are we on the right track? Thanks, a Penny, for your thoughts.
1: Funny. <laughs> I would have done it the other way. <laughs> I would have I would have started paying for college with the UTMA money only because it's I think it's better to use that money for something you know is really good for them. Um and that education thing is really good for them. And when they get older, they may want to spend that money on something else uh when they're over twenty-one. So and you might want to check in some states it's eighteen and they're more malleable when they're younger. So, uh, I don't know what your situation is. I I would have spent the UTMA first. I would have left the 529 money because then the older the older kid could use it for grad school or if they don't need it then, you know, when as college prices rise or one of the other kids decides they want to go to a pricier school or something, then you can move it over there. But either way, it's really not that big a deal either way. And hey, your car idea has some merit. That's kind of a nice gift. Uh, My daughter didn't even know she had a UTMA that my wife set up for her until she was well into her 20s. And then it was like, that's my money? Oh, I can spend that however I want. (laughs) So either way, either way is going to be fine. Thank you so much for calling with your question or not calling. What do we call it? Webbing? interneting, Websiting? recording i don't know whatever it was thanks for doing it and uh thank you so much for being a part of the podcast all of you all of you not just those of you ask questions we appreciate you being there we really do want to help you anytime anywhere and uh remember all kinds of great information is at talkingrealmoney.com just go there for tons of stuff articles uh resources um questioning us podcasts galore like almost 1200 of them. And tell your friends, and if you like what you hear, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, remember, Saturdays. Saturdays are great days. If you want to talk with us live, have a conversation back and forth, call us Saturdays between 3 and 5 p.m. Eastern time at our number 855 855- nine three five talk eight five five nine three five eight two five five and we will talk to you on the radio and then that becomes a podcast next week so you can listen again take care of yourselves have a wonderful day evening weekend week month year life i'm don and every once in a while i'm joined by tom and what do we do we hang out talking real money the guy was funny before funny we